seated. And I want to draw your attention to the passage that we read earlier, Luke chapter 6. And let me begin with a, a quote from a gentleman named Pascal, great uh, French thinker and Christian. He's talking about happiness. He says, all men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. The cause of some going to war and of others avoiding it is the same desire in both, attended with different views. The will never takes the least step but to this object. Never make a decision except it's to get to some kind of happiness for you. This is the motive of every action of every man, even those who hang themselves. I thought that was a striking statement. This desire for happiness, this is the motive of every action of every man, even those who hang themselves. So, what do you think is going to make you happy? What are you hoping will make you happy? What are you actively pursuing in these days that you hope will make you happy, truly and lastingly happy? Perhaps it's money. You want to make as much money as you can because you think that's going to make you happy. If you think like that, you should listen to a woman named Suze Orman who Time magazine called one of the most influential women in the world. And she said this was at a point in her life when she was rich enough to rent an island and have a holiday there. She said, I had more influence than I'd ever dreamed of, yet I felt sad and empty and at a loss. For if money didn't equal happiness, I had no idea what did. You're a fool if you pursue money in the hopes of being happy. Perhaps it's success. Uh, If I can be successful, that'll make me happy in whatever realm. If I can be a success, that'll make me happy. There's a man named Simon Cowell who's a television personality in the UK and in Canada and in the US. And he was asked uh, by an interviewer in the UK, she said, Simon, you're worth 50 million and rising. You have six lavish houses, lots of cars, most of them convertibles. Are you the man who has it all? And he said, no. And she says, well, what is it that you want? What is it that you don't have that you still want? He says, I'm always unhappy. I'm always striving for something else. I don't relax. I've tried and I can't. What are you striving for, she said. She says, well, I'm like the child who, uh, when someone else wins at Monopoly, I kick the board over. He says, I'm sort of like that in life. If someone I know is doing better than me, it really, really, really makes me unhappy. Success is not going to make you happy. So what about power and possessions? You know, be some great ruler who has great power, and as a result of that, many possessions. 
Well, you'll remember Saddam Hussein. Saddam Hussein built a palace for himself. It overlooked uh, where Babylon used to be and overlooked the Euphrates because he thought he was some kind of second Nebuchadnezzar. He spent millions on the palace, and it was uh, filled with marble. It was decorated intricately. It had gold toilets. And then he was overthrown. And then they trashed the palace. And then some American soldiers nailed a basketball hoop to his throne room wall. And so now in his throne room, people shoot baskets. And of course, he's dead. That's the other thing. Maybe it's fame. Maybe if I can be famous, that'll make me happy. One of my favorite actors is Betty Davis. She's dead now, but she was a great actress. And uh, she was very, very famous. But she wrote an autobiography. You know what it was called? Her autobiography was called The Lonely Life. These are people who have adulation. Maybe that's what you want, adulation. If you want adulation, listen to what happened to Elvis Presley or Kurt Cobain. These men who had such tremendous adulation, so many fans, and one of them commit suicide, and the other one pretty much did as well. You see, the fact of the matter is that nothing's going to make you happy in this world. I wonder if you heard that. Nothing in this world is going to make you happy. Or you say, if I can have a relationship, a relationship, that'll make me happy. Well, go and ask the one out of two couples that get divorced. Talk to them. Talk to their children. If I could just accumulate things, you know, they say, he who has the most things at the end, most toys at the end, you know, he wins. So if I can just get a bunch of stuff, well, go to the garbage dump and see where all those things end up that people live for. Now, the Bible says that the world is not going to make you happy. Augustine said, you have made us for yourself. He's talking to God, and he says, Lord, you've made us for yourself. And our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. You will never be happy until you find your happiness in God. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ, thankfully, at the beginning of this sermon, which, as I said, is similar to Matthew 5 to 7, it's a sermon he would have repeated at different occasions in different ways. He says the wonderful news is that it is possible to, to be happy. It is possible for poor sinners like us to be happy. Blessed are, that's how he begins. The word blessed means happy. I mean, not silly, kind of frothy, giggly happy, but genuinely, deep down, heartfelt happy. Lastingly and eternally happy. Not put on a happy face happy, but true and genuine and heartfelt happy. That's possible. Blessed are... And then the Lord begins to describe who these people are who know genuine happiness. 
And what we're going to see today is that as we prepare for the table, because this really is a message that can prepare us for the table, what we're going to see is that genuine happiness comes only to those who know Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Genuine happiness comes only when you know Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Because the fact of the matter is, the cross is designed to make you happy. The purpose of the cross is that those for whom Jesus died would ultimately be happy. Remember what we read in Hebrews chapter two and verse chapter twelve and verse two, that the Lord Jesus, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross. Now that joy is the joy experienced by a Savior and those for whom he died, the Savior and those whom he saved through his work on the cross and through his resurrection on the third day. When all of that work is finally accomplished, there is a joyous people and a joyous Savior. We read in Isaiah 53, verse 11, out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. So you see, the cross brings satisfaction to Christ and happiness to Christians. So yes, happiness, I mean true happiness, is possible when you know Christ and Him crucified. Well, we're going to see that in this passage, this passage, uh, verse 20 down to verse 23. And I want to open this up by asking four questions. The first question is, how can, sin, how can the sinful be happy? How can the sinful be happy? Blessed are those who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Jesus says, poor sinners can find happiness. Now, you know as well as I do that in this world, we find misery. If your eyes are open at all, you know that this world is full of misery. In Isaiah, twice we read, there is no peace for the wicked. And if you're not a Christian, well, you know that by personal and probably bitter experience. We read in, in Proverbs 13, 15, the way of the treacherous is his ruin. And it's interesting how the old King James puts it. The way of the transgressor is hard. The life of a non-Christian is a hard life. And the pathway of transgression, the pathway of wickedness, it's a difficult life. They put on a happy face. They smile, but it's hard. In fact, if you want a picture of it, you go to Luke 15 and you read about the prodigal son. And you read about how through his sin and through his wicked and riotous living, he brings ruination upon himself. And we find him then amongst the pigs. And he finds himself envying the food of the swine. And that's what sin has done in his life. And that's what sin does in everybody's life. And biography after biography tells the same sorry tale. And your life is beginning to tell the same story as well. 
the Westminster Larger Catechism says, the fall brought upon mankind the loss of communion with God, his displeasure and curse. So we are by nature children of wrath, slaves of Satan, and justly liable to all punishment in this world and in that which is to come. So we are miserable creatures outside of Christ. And we're miserable because we're separated from God. We're miserable because his wrath is hanging over us. We're miserable because we're separated from other people. You know that right after the fall, people start killing one another. And we're miserable because we're slaves of Satan. We're miserable because judgment looms on the horizon. And whenever you go to bed at night and fall asleep, you never know but that you might wake up in hell. So there's no happiness in this world. But Jesus says, blessed are the poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. And he's talking there not about physical and monetary poverty. He's talking, the way we read in Matthew chapter 5, he's talking about spiritual poverty. He's talking about being poor in spirit. He's talking about those who realize, like the prodigal, remember, the prodigal came to himself. The light, the spiritual light went on, and he began to see, this is ridiculous, this is awful, this is wicked, this is bringing judgment upon me. I must go back to my father and plead for mercy. Blessed are the poor, the poor in spirit, those who realize their spiritual bankruptcy, those who go and stand not next to the Pharisee, but they go and stand right next to the tax collector, and they begin to cry out to God in the same way, and they bow their heads. They can't lift their heads to heaven, but they cry out to God, and they say, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. They know that they are absolutely hopeless unless they turn to God for mercy unless they run with their sin, crying to Jesus, Lord, save me, then there's hope. Then there's happiness. Blessed are such people. Blessed are those poor. Well, why are they blessed? Well, because Jesus provides holiness for them now. That's why they're happy. Jesus provides holiness for them now. You remember in Zechariah, Chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. Joshua was standing before the angel, clothed in filthy garments. He was a sinner. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, Behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments, with clean garments. Well, you see, when we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, through his saving death, He removes the filthy garments of our sin. And through the righteous life of Christ, He clothes us in clean vestments. And then the poor sinner, well, everything's been transformed now that he's believed in Christ. And when God looks upon him, he sees righteousness. When God gazes upon him or her, he sees Christ. Of course, he's happy. Because Jesus provides holiness for them now, these who are poor in spirit. What's more, Jesus perfects holiness in them then. Because one day, 
these redeemed people, these who are poor in spirit, these who have trusted in Christ. One day, John says, we know that when he appears, when Jesus comes, well, we shall be like him. And then the poor sinner will be a sinner no more. Then the poor sinner, the saved sinner, will be absolutely righteous inside and out. He'll be completely conformed to the image of Christ, just the way God had always planned. Read about that in Romans 8, 28 to 30. And all God's children now, see, if you're a Christian, you're a child of God. But on that day, all of God's children will look just like his son. He has one son by eternal generation. He has a multitude that no man can number by adoption. That's us. And one day we will look just like the Son. You know, wonder then, Martin Luther said, when he was converted, he says, it was like entering paradise. So how can the sinful be happy? Well, the Lord Jesus explains, they trust in him. In their poverty of spirit, they come and they believe in him and they're saved. And theirs is the kingdom. Because Jesus says to those in him, Welcome, you are loved to my Father, and receive the kingdom which has been prepared for you before the foundation of the world. That's why we're happy. That's why so many of us here today are genuinely happy because of Christ. Now, it's true also that we, having come to Christ, having by the grace of God, become those who are poor in spirit. We continue to be poor in spirit through the rest of our lives. We continue to recognize our spiritual poverty, recognize our weakness, and, and we're always running to Christ. Having come to him once and for all, well, we keep turning to him, don't we? So that's the first thing. The second thing is, how can the hungry be happy? How can the hungry be happy? Well, people these days, I suppose, are are always hungry, but we're told they're always eating the wrong things. Um, well, Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Do you hunger for righteousness? And the psalmist says that the righteous man hungers for God. Remember the psalm, Psalm 63 says, my soul thirsts for God, for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. And there is, you see, in every man, in the heart of every man, woman, and child, there is, a, there is a need for God. There is a hunger for God. And the reason we hunger for God is because we've been made for God. You've been made for God. You've not been made to just live your life the way you want. You've not been made to just fulfill all your desires in this world. That's not why you've been made. You've been made for God. Whether you're young or old here today, you've been made for God. You've been made to know God. You've been created to have fellowship with God. You've been made to serve God. You've been made to come to know Him personally. In the Bible, uh, one of the catechisms says that man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. You've been made so that you might enjoy God. That's our purpose. That's the reason we exist. Listen to C.S. Lewis. I put this quote in the, uh, 
in the bulletin. Let me read it to you. A car, he says, is made to run on gasoline, and it would not run properly on anything else. Now, God designed the human machine to run on himself. He himself is the fuel our spirits were designed to burn, or the food our spirits were designed to feed on. He says, there is no other. And that's why it is just no good asking God to make us happy in our own way without bothering about religion. God cannot give us a happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there. There is no such thing. And maybe you've asked God to make you happy because you feel empty and you feel sad and you just are, are, are stumbling your way through life. And you've, you've prayed. You've said, Lord, please, I want to be happy. But you want to be happy with your own stuff and in your own way. It's not going to work, you see. God's made you for himself and he's made you in such a way that you can only be happy when you feed on him. We'll never find happiness outside of God. Blessed are those who hunger for God, you see. Blessed are those who feast on God. Blessed are those who finally begin to eat the bread of life and feed on and feast on the Lord Jesus Christ. My rule of thumb in terms of food in these latter days of my life is that if I love it, this food, if I love it, it's not good for me. That's just the rule of thumb. And if anyone says to me, this is really good for you, I know I'm not going to like it. My life is fairly simple and uncomplicated. Those are the two parameters that uh, define my experience with food. Um, here, I'm telling you about food today. That's the best thing in all the world. This is food. Oh, when you taste it, you find that God is good. And this is bread that when you eat it, it gives you life. When you eat the bread of life, when you taste of Jesus, you find that here is a feast for sinners. And you see, Christians testify that this food, this Christ, this Jesus, he is the great joy in this life. He's the great joy in this life. Listen to John Newton. He's talking about the, the fact that Christians are those who hunger and thirst after God. And they feed on Christ. And he says, having tasted him, nothing else satisfies. Listen to him. He says, oh, how tedious and tasteless the hours when Jesus no longer I see. Sweet prospects, sweet birds and sweet flowers have all lost their sweetness to me. The midsummer sun shines but dim. The fields strive in vain to look gay. But when I am happy in him, December's as pleasant as May. His name yields the richest perfume and sweeter than music his voice. His presence disperses my gloom and makes all within me rejoice. I should were he always thus now, have nothing to wish or to fear, no mortal as happy as I, my summer would last all the year. 
Content with beholding his face, my all to his pleasure resigned. No changes of season or place would make any change in my mind. What blessed, while blessed with a sense of his love, a palace, a toy would appear. All prison would palaces prove if Jesus should dwell with me here. Dear Lord, if I indeed am thine, if thou art my son and my song, say, why do I languish and pine, and why are my winters so long? Oh, drive these dark clouds from my sky, the soul-cheering presence restore, or take me to thee up on high, where winter and clouds are no more. You see, Jesus is the great joy of this life. And Paul expects that Jesus is the great joy of heaven. For me to live, he says, is Christ. And to die is gain. The best thing about life is Christ. And what makes heaven heaven is more Christ. And you see, that's why Paul says that it is his desire to depart and be with Christ. The world and all the things of the world hold No, uh, they have no hold on Paul. And he is drawn to heaven with the irresistible bands of love for Christ. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for God. They shall be satisfied. And you see, it all starts at the cross. It all starts at the cross. Remember what Jesus said in John 6, 53 to 56. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day, for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. And that's where it starts then. There's a deep and gnawing hunger in you if you don't know Christ. But when you see Christ in him crucified and believe in him, then you begin to feed for the first time on food that really satisfies and drink that really quenches. Blessed are those who may hunger and thirst for Christ. They're the ones who are satisfied in this life with the knowledge of God and that life with the presence of God. Now, the hungry can be satisfied. The hungry can be happy. You can be happy. Third question, how can the sad be happy? How can the sad be happy? Blessed, says Jesus, are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. How can sad people be happy? Let me say, first of all, that that Christians are happy people. It's not that we're miserable. Christians are happy people. J.C. Ryle tells us in his brief biography of George Whitfield, he says there was a woman in Boston who said that Mr. Whitfield's joy wooed me to Christ. She heard him preach, but it was his joy that wooed her to Christ, enticed her. Whitfield's joy adorned the gospel, and she believed in the Lord Jesus Christ received the gospel because she was enticed by not only his preaching, but his, his joy. You and I must be that kind of Christian. You know, we're not morose and miserable and a terrible advertisement for the Christian gospel. No. It's a delight to be a Christian, isn't it? It's a joy. 
And I, I remember when I was just, I just started preaching, somebody said to me, you, you always look angry when you're preaching. Oh, I thought, I've got to fix that, because I don't know to what degree I've been able to fix it, but if, if I seem angry, don't mean to. Because honestly and genuinely, it's great to be a Christian. Christians are happy. Jesus said, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Christians are happy people. But the fact is also, Christians are sad people. The Lord Jesus himself mourned. The Bible says in Isaiah that he's a man of sorrows and he's acquainted with grief. It was Jesus who said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you killed the prophets and stoned those uh, who were sent to you. How often I long to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks, but you were not willing. And it's Jesus who, as he approaches Jerusalem, he weeps over it. And he says, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but you would not. You've hidden, the, these things have been hidden from your eyes. And so Jesus, he's acquainted with grief and he weeps over sinners. And Christians are like their Savior. Blessed are those who mourn, we read in Matthew chapter 5. We understand what our Lord Jesus is talking about. We understand the grief that he experienced. And we can say, we can understand with Jeremiah when Jeremiah says, my eyes flow with rivers of tears because of the destruction of the daughter of my people. You read that in Lamentations. We understand Lamentations because we look around us at the world in which we live. We've lived long enough and the longer you live, the more you see the ravages of sin and the ruination that sin brings upon people and the devastated lives, the shattered families, all because of sin. And so, yes, we understand tears. And yes, we grieve over what we see around us. And yes, we cry for those who are outside of Christ. We also weep over our own sin, which we are fearful is going to hinder the gospel. And we are those who mourn. But Jesus says, blessed are those of you who weep. You shall laugh. You're going to laugh. Look, there's a sense in which we're going to rejoice because justice will be done. We'll read that in Revelation 19, 1-3, but that's a, that's a sobering subject for another day. We will, we will rejoice over the fact that justice will be done and justice will be seen to be done. But let me focus on other reasons why we will rejoice, why we will laugh, why we will leap with joy, as he says later on. Well, we will laugh because on that day, one day our sin will be gone. We will laugh because one day all our companions will be righteous. Can you imagine that? Everybody around you will be perfectly righteous. We will laugh because we live in a safe world. Imagine a world where they will not harm or destroy at all. It'll be a safe world. And we will laugh because our home that Jesus will have prepared for us will be glorious. 
and we will laugh because the Savior will be there. And then we'll understand this verse from Isaiah. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing will flee away. And that is why Jesus says what he does. That is why those who weep now, those who are like, Christ, like us, Christian people who weep now because of the ravages of sin, one day we will rejoice. And so Jesus says, blessed are these people. What tremendous comfort then we take from that. And as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3, we, we all always are comparing. We're remembering what lies ahead. We're looking forward to what lies ahead and remembering to compare that with the affliction that we experience in this world. And that is what carries us through. That is what moves us forward. That is what gives us energy to go into the next day, which will have all kinds of tribulation, but we know, you know, one day it's going to be okay. One day it'll all be worth it. One day we will laugh. Ian Murray approached Dr. Lloyd-Jones when Dr. Lloyd-Jones was sick and his ministry was pretty much over, and he asked Dr. Lloyd-Jones, how are you coping knowing that your ministry has been so severely curtailed? Lloyd-Jones replied, he said, do not rejoice that the demons are subject to you in my name, but rejoice that your name is written in heaven. That's how we cope with the troubles of our lives. That's why we're blessed now, even in the midst of the trouble. Because our names are written in heaven. And one day, you will laugh. Last question. How can the hated be happy? How can those who are hated be happy? The last couple of verses says that uh, Christians are hated. Christians are attacked. Christians are abused. Terrible things are said about us. Roger was telling us at prayer meeting about a Christian lady in England recently who stood outside an abortion clinic and prayed. It wasn't being a disturbance, just prayed. Was arrested then. When she was released, she went back and stood and prayed. Was arrested again. Well, Paul said to Timothy, everyone who wants to live godly in this present life will be persecuted. Everybody who wants to live godly in Christ will be persecuted. And again and again we're told the same thing. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. All Christians, when they live their lives and shine their light and raise their Christian flag and speak their Christian gospel, they will bring persecution upon themselves. Maybe you've suffered for that. Maybe in your family, maybe amongst your friends, maybe in your workplace. Well, you've suffered because you have been unashamed of Christ and you've raised your flag and you've said, I belong to the Savior and you've shown your true colors in the face of the world and it has brought suffering. Well, blessed are you. Blessed are you. Uh, there was a time, you, you know, Charles Spurgeon suffered greatly 
And uh, he was struggling with this, as we all tend to from time to time. He was depressed by the criticism that was being leveled against him. So what his wife did is he took this beatitude and um, she wrote it out on paper and apparently she nailed it to the, the ceiling above his bed so that when he woke up, he'd be reminded, you know, don't complain and don't be surprised when this kind of thing comes upon you. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. The Lord blesses them, and they will be comforted, and they will, by the grace of God, find uh, that there is a great reward in heaven for them. So why are they blessed? Well, they're blessed because in this world, they're helped. These persecuted people, they're helped. John Flavel said, uh, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. A thousand friendly hands are at work for Christians to promote and to bring about their happiness. Oh, he says, this is enough to sweeten the bitterness of providences to us. And we know that we shall, it shall all turn out for our salvation. So yes, you're going to suffer. Yes, it's going to be hard. But in the providence of God, there are a thousand friendly hands at work to help you. God's working all things for your good. So we'll be helped in this world, and then we'll be safe in the next world. We'll be safe in the next world. We read these remarkable words in Isaiah chapter 11. The wolf shall lie down with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf, and the lion, and the fatling together, and the little child shall lead them, and the cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand in the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. We'll be safe in the next world. No danger there. And remember that all of this, our safety, comes at the price of his suffering. Because this chapter from which I've read is all about the righteous branch. And through him, and through his work, and through his suffering, we will be blessed and know true happiness and glorious safety in our home above. May God bless his holy word to us. Let's pray. Father, we pray that those who do not know Christ will through your word today come to a saving knowledge of him and find in him the true and lasting joy and happiness that can only be found in God. So bless your word to the saving of souls and bless your word to the sanctifying of your people. We ask for Jesus' sake.